for delays here and uh, open us in a word of prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we rejoice in your goodness to us and we rejoice that you have given us a record of your goodness to your people across the generations. We thank you for Moses and for the way that you worked powerfully in him. We thank you uh, for this narrative that we're about to read today. And we ask, Lord, that as we seek to plummet its depths, that you would keep us from error, that you would show us your glory, and that you would draw us closer to you as you strengthen our faith. We thank you for all of these things uh, in the name of the one who you sent to die that we might live, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, I think, I think we have enough people here to actually do the reading. So... Uh, <clears throat> I've uh, broken it up into six sections. If I could have someone to read chapter 11, that's a, this is actually one of the shorter readings. Any volunteers? Uh, Mike, okay. Uh, the first reading out of chapter 12 is going to be the big one. Uh, it's chapter 12, verses 1 through 28. Do you have any takers for, for uh, chapter 12, 1 through 28? Cynthia, did I see your hand kind of tentatively going up? Okay. <laughs> Matthew warned people about the dangers of moving your hand anywhere near in a gesture that resembles raising it in Sunday school. You might get called on. <laughs> okay, uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 29 through 43. Any takers for that? Okay, Mike, and then uh, chapter 12, verse uh, 44 through 13, 2. Any takers? Brian? Okay. And chapter 13... Uh, 3 through 16. Okay, Landon? Okay. And if I call anybody by the wrong name, I think I have names down, but if I call you by the wrong name, please correct me. I'm, uh, I'm more willing to be corrected than I uh, am fearing to be embarrassed, so feel free to let me know. And then the last reading is chapter 13, 17 to the end. Oh, Sharon? Okay. <clears throat> okay, uh, Mike, if you could get us started. Said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. 
So we have a, a sizable chunk of text to work through here, a sizable chunk of narrative. Um, and uh, we probably won't get to, to plumb the depths of everything, but there are definitely some big ideas that start presenting themselves here for the first time. Um, if there's a defining event in the life of Israel and in the um, sort of the, the uh, spiritual milieu that, uh, that the Jewish people live in, it's the, it's the Passover. It's one, of the, uh, it's one of the things that if you happen to go to a Jewish wedding uh, and, and 
you, you're at one that's even a very, a very liberal wedding, going to, say, a, a reformed congregation. It's one of the things that they talk about. And uh, it's, it's one of the events that's pointed out in, I believe that Matthew mentioned it in, in Psalm 105, where uh, Israel is recounting all of the things that demonstrate God's faithfulness and his love. But bringing his people out of Egypt is one of the, the, the keystone events of the, in, of the uh, collective experience of the Jewish people. And when we, when we look at this and we look at the, the various sections that we have before us here, the, the first one talks about the, the, the threatening of the great plague. Now, if we look back at the end of the previous chapter to get a little bit of context, Moses has gone in front of Pharaoh again and asked to leave. And Pharaoh says, you can go, but he puts one condition on their leaving. Does anybody remember what that condition was? Uh, okay. uh, I, I may not have asked the question clearly. Yeah, and yeah, in, yeah. No, I, I think I'm that the way I asked the question may not have been clear. In in chapter ten, when Moses went before Pharaoh, he asks. To let, he asks Pharaoh to let his people go on God's behalf. And Pharaoh says, you can take the people. But he puts a stipulation on taking the people and going to worship God. Yes, Ronnie? Verse 24, um, leave your flocks and herds behind. Yeah. So he says, you can go, but you can't take your flocks and herds. And there's actually something that's significant in Moses' response, other, other than the fact that God wants him to take the flocks and the herds. But what does Moses say in response in, in the previous chapter? Well, you guys can't yeah, they say they, they don't know what God's going to demand of them. So we need to be prepared to celebrate and make sacrifices to God. And so now, now that... Pharaoh has put up the last objection. We have the final plague here, and, it's, and this one's the most devastating of all the plagues. And when we take a look at, at this particular plague here, um, we see that God lays out what's going to happen again, as he has in the past. Right? He, he makes it clear that even though Moses is going to go before him, is going to go before Pharaoh. Pharaoh's, going to, Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened again. And yet, there's this uh, demand that, uh, that we, that we uh, just heard about from Teresa that the people are going to make, asking for, for silver and gold jewelry. Um, what, what's the significance of that? How does that play into the, the, the narrative of this, this marquee event in, in the life of Israel and this event that demonstrates God's sovereignty as a deliverer? You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a point, there's that point to be made, that they've been there and they weren't originally uh, slaves, but they had eventually become slaves. And so there was, I don't know if you remember when there was, there were a couple of, of uh, lawsuits that never were seriously prosecuted, but they were brought up and they showed up in the news. There was one from an Islamic, I don't know if he's an Islamic scholar or lawyer, but 
he was demanding reparations from Israel for having plundered Egypt. And in response, a Jewish theologian said that the wages were inadequate, as, as sizable as they were, they were inadequate for the years of slavery that they spent in Egypt. So there is that aspect of it, for sure. But what else is it, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. And and there's uh, th- that that wording is is actually key. That there is that, that's a very good point that this is God uh, working for his people in conquest. God the great conqueror. Anything else? Uh, Mike. It was just really good for the nation of Israel. I mean, it was probably well over a million people to not leave Egypt and to be traveling, you know, penniless. I mean, all these golden jewelry would be, you know, uh, acceptable barter if they needed anything along their way. Yeah, and, and we'll, we'll see this uh, later on in the narrative as... Uh, as Israel is going through the various uh, lands as they're making their way to the promised land, one of the things that will come up is that, you know, they'll say, hey, we'll, co- we'll go through your land. We won't, tri- we won't move to the right or the left. We'll stay on the path and we'll pay for anything that we consume. So they have, they have the wherewithal to do that. Uh, and they'll also have the wherewithal uh, when it comes to uh, fashioning the, the implements of worship for the temple that they'll have it as well. Yes, Teresa, you about to say something? I was going to ask you a question before sure. we get too far. Okay. Is, um, why did God specifically say several times, do not take unleavened, do not eat unleavened bread for so many days and so many days after? What is so specific? How do they make unleavened bread in the first place? Is it like gluten? Well, the, what it means is that it doesn't have any yeast in it. And this is, this is actually a big deal because it was the, the way that bread would be made was that it's kind of like if you've ever done a friendship bread thing with an, another family or something. You, you have this bread and it has the yeast in it and you give it to somebody else. And that was how they would, that's how they would handle uh, maintaining leaven in their bread. They didn't have yeast like we have it. They would, so they, it, it was difficult to get that first, that first bit of, of leavening in there. So what they would have to do is they would have to, to, to not have some, some bread from, up from a previous batch. What is the significance? What's the significance of it? Um, <clears throat> we are actually going to get to that. I do, have, I, I do have just uh, one more point to make about the plundering, and then we'll, we'll move on to uh, chapter 12, where they discuss the, the, the unleavened bread. But the, the other thing that, that to note about the plundering is that they're not just being delivered and kind of skulking out at night. They're going out in triumph, they're, they're plundering, and it's this massive blessing that they probably didn't have in mind way back when Moses was first uh, broaching the idea with the people that he was going to go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. So it, it ends up being so much more than they were originally anticipating. And that's the way that, that God works with us in our relationships. Uh, he, he doesn't just save us from hell. A relationship with him is not hell avoidance. It's the blessing of his presence and his bountiful provision and fellowship. Yep. I think the verse that seek first the kingdom of God and everything you need will be provided. Well, this is the way God was providing for his 
Yeah, 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 he does. He, he provides you know, the wherewithal for them to, to buy food as they're, in the, or they're going through the wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge blessing. Well, yeah, there, yeah, there, there may have been some who, who had gone with them, yeah. So, getting on to the Passover now. So, any ideas on what's the big deal with unleavened bread? Uh, Corey. They, they didn't have time. And that's, that's first and foremost the reason why. I mean, the, in, in the narrative and in the way that it plays out, they don't have time to, to prepare bread the way they normally would. They, they, have, they have some bread that, that they were instructed, or they, some, some of the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the materials for, for making bread that they were instructed to gather together. But they're in a rush. So that's, you know, practically speaking, what's happening. Any other ideas? Because there is, there is oh, yes. Well, I Bill. Think Yeah, there's a there's a verse. Uh, don't tell me I didn't write it down. Oh, it's in one of my notes. I apologize for being a little bit disorganized here, but it's in First uh, Corinthians. Okay. Got my notes a bit scattered. Yes. I believe so. They don't. They just obey. Well, the association with evil actually comes later. Yeah. Yep. Now, in English, we have a different expression. One bad apple spoils the lot. So, in, in our English expression, it actually has to do with something bad. The expression in Jesus' time was not something bad, it was just something that turned. Yep. Because Jesus even used the leaven yep. to picture the kingdom of God. Yep. So and, yep. Thank you, Brian. That's uh, it's a lot clearer than I would have ever explained it this morning. The, the, yeah, that's I, I just found it. <laughs> but it. Would you like to read that for us, Ronnie? Five, six through eight.
Thank you. And so just as, as Brian was explaining the, uh, the break with the past, the break with the Egyptian culture and all of its idolatry, all of, the, all of its worship of wrong things, the, there's uh, the encouragement here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 to leave behind all of the vestiges of the, the culture of that time that the Greeks were experiencing, experiencing in Corinth, all of the argumentation, all of the competitiveness, all of the aggressiveness that um, Matthew has alluded to in some of his sermons as we make our way through Corinthians, 1 Corinthians already. <clears throat> it's, it's symbolic of the break, that it's a fresh start, and it's a fresh start for God's people who have been set apart as his people. And so with that fresh start, the, it, it's, uh, the, with that break with the leaven, it symbolizes the fresh start. Now, why do you think In, in preparation for leaving, everyone was dressed and everyone had their uh, the materials for making bread and everything. What, what's the significance of them being ready so late at night? Because it was kind of an odd time. Right? Mike? Yeah, this, this idea of being ready when, when God calls us to something. Ronnie? Oh, okay. <laughs> Solidarity. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a sign of the faith that God calls us to, right? This, this idea of being ready, of, of, of being ready to answer the call when there's uh, something that he calls us to. So, now, when, when the plague comes, it's, it's pretty devastating. This is, this is the thing that actually causes uh, Pharaoh to say, go out. So, did you notice anything that was kind of odd in the, the statement that, that Pharaoh makes. So we're looking at, at the section uh, starting at verse 29 of chapter 12. Yeah, he says, bless me also. It's kind of a kind of an interesting thing for him to say, isn't it? I mean, this guy who's been resisting God all this time. What do you think the significance of that is? Jay. Yeah. Yep. Becky? We've been bubbling under the surface all the time. That's, we come to the realization of God's power, or the power of the God that we've realized. And I think he wants not a share in that, but like he realizes God's power is what is like 
you know, this, this, uh, this clearly seems to be him acquiescing to the superiority of God. Now, he's not going to stay this way for very long, but, but he seems to be acknowledging here the, that someone else is in control and it's not him. This, this pretty significant, this substantial event that's just taken place shows who's in charge, and it's not him. Yeah, yeah, I think he is. And it kind of brings to mind those, those passages in uh, Revelation where everyone is going to come before God. And some, some will bow the knee as, as servants out of respect, and others will, will bow the knee as, as conquered. But everybody's going to bow the knee, and everybody's going to recognize Who's in control? Who's in charge? Mike. Yeah, yeah, and, and just, just as he also despised his birthright, right? He was willing to, to give it up for, for a, uh, a bowl of stew. Uh, but then objectively looking at it, they, they come to their senses, but they're still not, they're still not aligned with God. <clears throat> when we take a look at the uh, institution of the Passover in, in the section of chapter 12, starting in verse 43. It starts out saying that this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. What's the significance of that? Why? Why do you think... The, the Passover is, has this exclusivity provision. Yeah, this is, a, this is a provision for my people, is what he's saying. And he, he goes on to say afterwards, uh, in, in verse 48, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native, for the stranger who sojourns among you. For the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. So this is for God's people. Those who sojourn, meaning that they're, they're, they're on the, 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 the same path that Israel is, is on. That they're, uh, that they're walking with God, with Israel. 
anyone who's, who's in that situation of, or in that relationship with God is able to, part, to partake and to participate. Now, there's a, this is one of the uh, first detailed descriptions of the observation of, of a, uh, what will become one of the uh, keystone festivals that the Israelites are to, uh, are to observe. And one of the things that they mention in, in its observation has to do with, uh, in addition to the, the unleavened bread, says something about work. What, what, what do we see here when it comes to work and the festival that's going to be celebrated? If... Uh, Taking a look at, at uh, chapter 12 uh, in that paragraph that begins with uh, verse 14. It talks about unleavened bread, but it also mentions work. No work done on those days. And this is before the giving of the Ten Commandments. So if you take a step back and look at what life was like for individuals who were slaves in Egypt, do you think they had any days off? I don't think so, right? <laughs> uh, Becky. Do you think they might have been given at least a little time off here and there so they could actually be as productive as the Egyptians needed them to be? I think that they would work them as hard as they could and, and uh, they would probably not be all that gracious about time off. I think they I think they want their people to stay alive and and to to be able to work but they probably worked them very hard and they probably didn't didn't have a day off so the idea of having a day where you do no work and this is before the giving of the 10 commandments we want to keep in mind uh, they how do you how do you think they thought about that Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it's it would two things because I think it, in our time right now we have we have difficulty with you know the Sabbath. And, and seeing not working for the blessing that it can be. A lot of times we'll look at it as, oh, that means that there's something that I can't do. As opposed to looking at the Sabbath and saying, this is a time that God calls me to rest and to be refreshed. I think that people coming out of a, a, a slavery context would have a great appreciation for that rest. I think that they would... That would be the kind of thing that they would look forward to. And, uh, and the associated trust that it would require as it becomes instituted as a, uh, as a, a phenomena that happens every week, 
as it's codified in the Ten Commandments, that would be something that would really stick out among the, that would make them stick out among the, the neighboring nations, that this is, this is a people that doesn't work one day a week. Yes? Yeah. Um, but we've come so far away uh, from the idea uh, as a society. You know, so I thought, yeah, I like that idea. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, uh, I, have a, I have a co-worker who's uh, an Orthodox Jew. And uh, just, just as Brian did a better job explaining the, the, the way the whole Levin thing works, uh, I'm not going to do as good a job as, as Yaniv did explaining why it's important to take a day of rest. But you know, he doesn't do anything on that day of rest. But he doesn't view it as like this, this burden. He looks at it as this day off where you know, he works hard five days a week. Sometimes he has to work on a weekend. He might have to work on a a Sunday for him, which is, which is part of the weekend that's not the Sabbath because he observes on Saturday. But he may do some work on Sunday night, but he just looks at Saturday as this time to just not do anything, but to be able to relax, to be able to, to spend time focusing on the good things that God has given him, and to, to recharge spiritually. That's, you know, that's how he views it. And, and the way he explained it, uh, he, he made me want to be a strict Sabbatarian, which I'm not. But he, the way he explained it, it sounded like this is the way it should be. And I, I wish I were as articulate as he is. But the, the, the point I, that I'd like to convey here is that, that God has, has given us this idea of a day off and the idea of a day off is is for uh, our good it's not just a prohibition for all these things that we're not supposed to do but it's actually for our good he's got it there to help us uh, to to kind of recharge our batteries and get our focus on the important things take our minds off the hustle and bustle of the craziness of the week and, and get ready for the next week. And he's design, kind of designed it that way. Yes, Beck. Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's a hard thing. I mean, it's a hard thing for college students um, I was having a conversation with an RUF minister about how difficult it is at Harvard where everybody's hard charging and everybody is uh, looking for that edge that will make them stand out. I mean, they stand out already by, by the fact that they got into Harvard, but they're so, everyone is so competitive and has so much drive there that getting the students to appreciate a Sabbath rest is one of the biggest challenges that they have in the ministry because it's so easy to get caught up in, you know, and we can come up with neat ways. I mean, my, my favorite personally is to say, well, you know, I'm working at all things and working for the Lord and, you know, kind of conflate what's really an, a, uh, an, an act of necessity or mercy or, you know, I might be stretching what's recreation because there are some things that I really like to do that I get paid for. But, you know, um, the, the reality is that uh, I, I think that when, when we read a passage like this and when we look at the context of what they're coming out of, that, that the, the, uh, the Israelites would have gotten it. I think they would have gotten the Sabbath right here. Now, they'll have problems, and, you know, we'll read in Nehemiah how they're letting people come in and sell stuff, and they're buying and selling uh, in Jerusalem, but 
the, uh, I, I think, at this moment in time, Israel gets it. And notice the, the strong language on, on the leaven. This, this is something that uh, always it, it seems a bit eye-opening. It says um, when in, in verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened from that day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Uh, this is back in uh, chapter 12. Cut off. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty final language. The, the idea of being cut off is that you, you kill that person so that you know, that person will no longer be the source of any children. His, his line is, well, whatever, uh, whatever exists in his line will still exist, but he'll no longer be uh, um, among Israel. So that was, it was a pretty, a pretty strong um, uh, contraindication that they gave there. Now, uh, let's see, we got a, there's a, uh, I, I'd just like to touch quickly upon the, the pillars of cloud and fire at the end of verse 13. There are a couple of things that are mentioned in here that, that show the way that God uh, works with his people. One of them is in uh, verse 17 of chapter 13. He doesn't lead them by the, lay of the, land, the way of the land of the Philistines so that they don't change their minds. So, you know, what, what do we see about God here? What, what kind of application can we see here in uh, chapter 13, verse 17? Back. Oh. Why would them seeing war make them relax? Would it be that they would feel insecurity being out on their own? Well, well I, I, I think they hadn't seen war, right? They've been, they have not been the warrior class. <laughs> they have no war fighting experience, right? So I think it would be pretty daunting. And as, as we'll see in the, some of the following chapters, uh, it doesn't take war to deter them and make them think they want to go back. There are some lesser uh, tribulations that they run into that cause them to say, hey, you know, we wish we were back. But, uh, Landon. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, that the idea that the, the God who created the universe has this plan for his people. He knows what they're made up of. He knows their constitution. He knows what they can handle. And he doesn't give you more than, he, than you can handle. And so there's, there's kind of like a flip side to that. Part of it is you can see it here, that he knows that they, can, that they couldn't handle this, so he doesn't send them you know, into the jaws of combat. But we can also look at our circumstances and draw some conclusions about that, and that is that, that the circumstances in, into which God places us are circumstances that he knows that we can handle, and he wants us to rest in his grace, just as Israel rested in his grace, just as they trusted. They got dressed up. They, they had the, the, the food made to the extent that it could be made without leaven, and they followed him. And I think that 
when we see God's care for his people here, we can see that you don't have to worry because if it's, if it's really going to be something that you can't handle, God is not going to give you that thing to do. Bill? And then back. Yeah, we get this kind of full-orbed view of God and, and the way that he works with his people. And Beck, you had one thing, last comment, and then I'll close this in prayer because I'm starting to run late here. Yeah, that's kind of implicit in that phrase. Just if there's any, uh, if there was any lack of clarity, uh, I figured in this crowd it probably wouldn't be lost on anyone. But just just to be, you know, 100% clear, it is by His grace that that we can handle situations. Just as it was, it was pretty explicit in this situation that it's by His grace that His people could handle it. So, um, with that, I'll go ahead and close this. Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, for this narrative. We thank you for the faithfulness that you have worked into the lives of your people. Uh, And we thank you, Lord, that uh, you love us in a way where you organize our circumstances uh, to forge Christ's character uh, in us. And we thank you for... uh, the love that you had for us, and we ask now, Heavenly Father, that as we turn our eyes towards worship, uh, that uh, you would prepare Brent to bring us your word, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, and that we would have the faith uh, to follow you where you call us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Yeah. I mean, obviously, God could work out of it when he desired, but, but I guess that, that passage shows us that he was working out of it what he desired yeah. in, in keeping them away from the Egyptians. So, I mean, the master plan wasn't just, they can't handle it, I'm not going to bring them there. It's like, if they, if they had gone back, the history would have been, like, totally changed. But they wouldn't go back. Yeah. Because he led them. Yeah. I know. But, like, 